All right, everybody, welcome to Soul Sundays. So just to give you guys the premise of the group, uh, for anyone that hasn't been here before, um, everything that we talk about here is for the purpose of learning, exploring, sharing. Uh, nothing that anybody says here is right or wrong. Nobody's smarter or better. We're all on the same level when we come together here to learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, this beautiful, amazing experience that we have been able to continually do week after week has been brought to you in part by our sponsors at Purium. Okay, so uh, if, you're, if you're a part of our Soul Sundays group, uh, then you're in the first level of our group. And just by coming and showing up and participating, you are part of our community. Uh, if you want to go to the second level of our group, uh, you can try the custom products here. Um, and if you want to go to the third level, you can help us share these with the world. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, our mission is threefold. It's one, to raise consciousness of, the, of humanity, two, to end human suffering, and three, to bring world peace into the world. So uh, this is one of the ways and the tools that we do that, and uh, amongst a variety of other things that we are now doing and talking about. So today we have uh, an amazing call about the book. Oh, what in the devil. Did anyone get a chance to read this? I know Sophia made an amazing note. <laughs> yeah, right. I read like half of it, like a long time ago, actually, like a few months ago. Yeah. Like when you guys, like when you guys, like first mentioned it with uh, conversations with COD Part Four, like that. Uh, like I ordered it then, and I like kind of read it after that, but haven't touched it since, to be honest. <laughs> cool. Does anyone else dove into it? I'm like halfway through the audiobook myself, just like Daniil, and I think I read part of the um hard copy but obviously they're pretty much the same so halfway for me nice um melody have you ever heard of this book i haven't no no okay it's amazing you should check do you know do you know think and grow rich by napoleon hill yeah yeah so same author okay cool um and then kieran have you heard of this book or have you hey uh yeah i just kind of took a look at it but I didn't get a chance to read it. No worries. We're going to give you a great breakdown and summary today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so awesome. the, the, the basis of the book basically is that uh, Napoleon Hill, the author, is having a conversation with the devil. Um, and because... Yeah. Well, hold on. Before that, <laughs> before that, this was written in 1938, okay? And it was written in a time where Napoleon Hill had already come out with, um, what's that, Thinking Grow Rich, right? So he was known for this, you know, a leader in self-development and like, you know, he, he was going through a really rough time, basically, essentially when this happened. He was, he lost, his, I think he, he was pretty much bankrupt at the time. And he felt like he was like, some sort of an imposter because he here he is he wrote this amazing book he knows everything what to do in theory but yet he's being met by these challenges so while he was writing this or just before he wrote this he was brought to one of the lowest times in his life and it was feeling that impact that kind of sparked him to call upon the devil consciousness in part because he felt it present and around him during that time in his life um, have you read They Can Grow Rich or anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Parts of it. So like amazing book, right? And one of the chapters, he talks about his invisible counsel. 
And his invisible council is made up of all of these great leaders in the world that have walked before him but are now passed over. So what he does in times when he you know, needs advice, he pretty much sits in meditation, calls upon these different leaders, uh, JFK, for example, and just gets in their consciousness and starts to have a conversation with them. And the way he advises to do this is he, you know, like if you admire someone, if you look up to someone and admire their qualities, look at their bio, get to know the person that they were, right? And, and start, then from there, you could start to have a conversation. So in essence, he was channeling. <laughs> like he was channeling conversations with his council. And then when he was met with the devil consciousness, he decided to be really brave and like just bite the bullet as it was chasing him and say, all right, if this is really you, I'm going to get in this frame of mind, which again was not uncommon for him given his meeting of councilmen that he was so used to. And so basically this whole book was written in 1938 during one of the lowest phases of his life. And he called upon the devil consciousness to basically interrogate it and have a conversation with it to find out what was going on. Yeah. They, um, they kept the book hidden for a very long time. <clears throat> until 2011. Until 2011. So what's interesting about that, though, is in 1938, things like smoking cigarettes, for example, it wasn't bad back then. It was like, oh, yeah, your doctor, which, which cigarette did your doctor recommend, you know? Um, but, uh, but if you look in that book, it talks about how he uses cigarettes and smoking to break down people's will and stop them from wanting to do certain things. And so you kind of like, whether you believe in the validity of who he's talking to or not, there is an element of it that you're like, oh, wow, okay, maybe, maybe there's some truth there, right? So um, I guess what we can do is um, uh, go around and uh, let some people share their thoughts on it. So thoughts and so maybe some of your favorite parts. Yeah. Uh, you want to say something and then we can bounce back and forth? Yeah, so I got to, um, so I wrote notes up to chapter four and then I sped, listened to it up to chapter eight on my way here. And um, so something that really has resonated with me so far is the emphasis on learning through failure. And, um, and that ultimately teaches you what not to do. And so when you look at like your traditional school systems and um, just in society in general, there's a lot of emphasis on like role models and like who do you aspire to be and like all of this kind of stuff, but focus on positives where I thought it was interesting that it's, well, if you look at the negatives in the sense that, well, if you look at the people that have tried to do what you want to do um, and have ultimately failed, that will teach you like that will kind of you'll learn from their mistakes um otherwise history is doomed to repeat itself and so i thought that was interesting to connect um yeah when in like the initial conflict when he starts the conversation with the devil um he asks or he'll ask the devil like what are your most like, so, okay, he learns that the devil gains control over the mind through fear and how fear is 
um, initially an extrinsic motivator and then that becomes an intrinsic thought and that's a learned behavior. And so it was interesting that he talks about the six most effective fears being poverty, criticism, ill health, loss of love, old age and death and how his most favorited, um, sorry, it says the devil states poverty and death serve him most effectively. He can only punish those who are alive as he resides in the mind. And so fear is the thing that does not exist, or sorry, fear of the thing which does not exist is just as useful to the devil as the fear that does exist. Um, so like just from having the fear alone is what you're saying. It's like, yeah. uh, so I'm saying like, even if you fear something, it's like, even if it's not real, even if that fear is not existing, that fear can still cripple you. If you think like, if you think, oh, like I can't go outside because then I'm going to catch something and I'm going to be diseased. Like, even if you go outside and you're totally fine, like you'll never get to experience that because you're too scared to go outside in the first place. So if it's real or not, you, your fear ends up making it real. Yeah, your fear like creates like an entity of it. And our thoughts are things anyway, so they are entities anyway. So what you're hearing, what you're thinking about, like you're saying, yeah, it becomes real. Yeah, we have a, a motto in this house, which is just no fear. <laughs> you can do what you want, but just like, just don't be afraid, right? And uh, I think that's essential because that it's that fear that that, that negative energy starts to creep in. Um, does anyone want to comment on any of that or? Uh, yeah, man. Um, like, I, I found it very interesting throughout the entire book how he basically, um, I, I found there was like a really recurring theme. And honestly, this is kind of like why I stopped reading, uh, because I like I felt like I, I kind of like, you know, like, <laughs> I kind of like got the point, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, the de like the the whole society that we're kind of uh, structured in is pretty much just meant to keep us like unconscious and dependent on the very system that's keeping us like you know like uh prisoners from our own love you know and i felt like that is what the the whole like literally every single question that he was asking the devil i felt like he was kind of pointing him towards that direction i, I, I forget the the term he was using um for that un unconscious for unconsciousness uh do you guys remember it was like um like unconscious flow or something like that like, or, oh hypnotic rhythm yes hypnotic rhythm that's what it was yeah so literally he would uh, he would like the the devil the whole point of this whole like system is to keep us in that hypnotic rhythm keep us from questioning that shit and like he was touching on like how schools are literally just meant to reinforce that and how literally like um participating in the labor market is also uh used to reinforce that so i found that really interesting you know um there's a lot more I have to say about that, but I, I want to like reserve myself a little bit and uh, I'll, I'll add on a little later. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think the book for me was like, it was kind of disturbing, right? Cause it's like, you're, you're, you're watching, you're listening to it or, or reading it. And it's like, these are things that we kind of know, but to have somebody say it out loud and realize that there's like, you know, the churches, are responsible for so much of this like indoctrination yeah. and our parents are the school system the government it's like holy shit like like where, how do we escape this right like yeah. but almost you can't right like it's like every fiber of our body has that negative half in it uh just same way does the, the positive half so we have to kind of like choose
with our thoughts and with our consciousness, which, which path we want to take. Um, yeah. I'd like to say something, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, uh, so I haven't read this book, but I feel like I've already been on the journey that this book is talking about. So I'm really excited to hear all y'all's um, uh, opinions about it and your experience. But, and so I totally agree. Uh, fear does a number of things on our mental health and physical health and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> so I just wanted to say, I'm like so excited about this. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Melody. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to share that I saw like a really interesting post this past week, actually, that was talking about how indigenous tribes used to um, actually banish people who even have like show fear and couldn't release it. Like they oh, were wow. actually like, um, they would, they would do everything like growing up, like their kind of indoctrination was like to teach everyone in the tribe not to live in fear. Like that wasn't allowed. Wow. It was basically it was not anyone that couldn't like let go was banished so that no one else could be infected with it. Wow. Which is so interesting. I thought that was a really hmm. When people are saying like fear is the virus, like yeah, yeah, exactly. in that community, it really is like do not spread this virus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we were talking last week about the virus, the virus being like, or maybe I was talking about it on Instagram, I forget, but just the virus being like um, cause for evolution. Every virus that comes into your life is like a is like a sign or a stepping stone for the next stage of evolution. And sometimes I feel like um, the the evolution of COVID is that we're all just like stepping away from centralized power, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we're all kind of like taking personal responsibility for our, for our um, sovereignty and independence and things like that. And, and learning to self govern without the needs of, you know, a bunch of different, uh, uh, I don't know, like power holders or whatever you want to call it. But um, so, yeah. Uh, do you want to say something, Yancy, about your experience? Yeah, uh, I found a uh, very interesting where he talks about um, where um, Napoleon Hill kind of asks him about his, his enemies and, and like what he what he fears and he fears like how he, he he spoke about how he feared people with money and people that were doing good, but then he used uh, the Rockefellers as an example. As a positive but example. That's funny because when yeah when when the book was written. The Rockefellers were actually buying out all the natural health uh, people, right, mm -hmm. and, and all the inventions, mm -hmm. just so they can suppress it. But it just shows, like, if if you actually use your money for good, how how, how like against the devil that can that yeah. can be, and how effective it can be. I yeah. thought about that. Yeah. I thought about that too, and like, I almost wonder, like, in that day or in that time, like was there an element of what they were doing that they thought was the right thing? You know what I'm saying? Like, and then did it just like hit a breaking point and switch or? They're, they're, they're from, from my understanding, their intention uh, during that time was to, to buy out everything so they can suppress it. Yeah, no, I know that's for sure at some point, right? But I'm just wondering like, cause I know that, I know that uh, Napoleon Hill interviewed a lot of these guys. They yeah. interviewed uh, Dale Carnegie, or sorry, Andrew Carnegie um they he interviewed uh, henry ford like and if you look back now like some of those people would be considered like complete like parasitical elite individuals right like um so i wonder like i heard this thing that says like you you're either the hero or you're you're either the hero or you live long enough to become the villain 
you know so i'm kind of wondering at what point like did they have good intentions and then did it switch or you know i don't know who knows but uh or maybe did he just have so much power that he got even napoleon hill to, to talk shit in this book i don't know right <laughs> um no i think that's a a good point because what yanti just said about who the devil hates and he said many times he's like to napoleon hill i, I was actually just reading it i forgot where the page is but he said like i I can't control people like you because you have the awareness. Mm. It starts with the awareness. That's it. Like yeah. the awareness of maybe like, Oh, like the fear is creeping up or the awareness of, you know, this light and dark and what we choose to feed either side. Right. But that's the kind of like the foundation of critical thinking that Napoleon Hill talks about. It's that always questioning yourself, everything around you kind of holding an idea and being able to sit with it right before you just like hop on board with what your parents say the church says the government says yeah. um so people who have that ability to kind of think critically and just create like a little pause before they react or accept is the person or the type of person that the devil can't infiltrate right mm -hmm. I think we're all kind of swayed back and forth every once in a while, but that's like, you know, that's part of life because we have to understand both sides, but ultimately it's the ability to just understand. Like for me, when I was reading this book, when there was like a distinction of like how the devil, whatever, like works through our consciousness, I was like, Oh my God, because now I can, no, but like I can see that, right? Like I can have that distinction. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I read this book, Maybe I would have been aware of it, maybe not. But now I have a distinction to catch myself to be like, oh, that's maybe drifting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, just sit with ideas, be open, question. Um, it's so, so it's, true. Right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that there is a type of person who also has definiteness of purpose, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, know what you want. Go out there, make decisions. Don't just waver back and forth because any decision is better than indecision. Mm. Right. So having that purposeful state is also keeping us on a track that we're creating, not yeah. everything around us is creating for us. And we're just like, on this, yeah, like yeah. flowing with whatever. Can you imagine guys just having a thought and then like not questioning any of your thoughts and just thinking like every thought that comes into your mind is true. There's people out there that are doing this. They're just waking up. They have a thought and they go, <laughs> I had a thought. That's something that's real. Like, no. Elephants yeah. are purple. Think <laughs> about the thought you just had and question your own thoughts. Just because it popped into your head doesn't mean it's a real thing. And this just blows my mind. I <laughs> actually have personal experience with that. And I was sharing that with you last night a little bit. Like, I have seriously set my intentions to download, you know, whatever information and I don't attach myself to thoughts that come that just kind of pop out of the out of nowhere. <laughs> I feel like that is direct inspiration. And so I just kind of go with it. And like uh, you were saying earlier about just sitting with it and like, I want to dissect the um, a, a decision is better than making no decision. I would say like, hold the sit with it for a minute, you know? Because that right there is a decision, you know? And so, because I used to be so afraid of the ego. I used to be so afraid of making the wrong decision because I lived in total fear. Mm -hmm. And so now 
I'm like, I'm looking at it. I, I'm asking, is this emotional reaction or is this a energy sensation? Is this inspiration, you know? And so I like to decipher and dissect, okay, where is this coming from? And if I wasn't even in a thought process um, and one just comes to me out of the blue, I catch it. Like if I'm driving on the freeway and all of a sudden, like I'm thinking of other things and all of a sudden I think of a different lane to move into, I'm like, oh, that's inspiration. I move over and then that lane slows down. And so I've used those little tiny moments of just like things that we would totally say is benign. And that's how we get more downloads is we accept all of those things that come out of the blue. Like I said, all right, I guess I'm going to, to drive for Lyft tonight or something, you know, it's, it's just, I allow all of those thoughts to come in and then I'm like, oh yeah, that wasn't mine. I guess I'm supposed to do it anyway. So that's kind that's, of my experience. That's a phenomenal point. I think it's important to be able to like catch those things, especially if you're playing with and practicing your intuition, right? Like, and, and, and learning to grab thoughts. Um, and yeah, I think there's moments where definitely that requires us to think critically about things, but there's also some moments where we need to trust our intuition and be able to uh, pull in a thought and say, okay, well, where did that come from? And I think thoughts can come from a lot of places, right? I think like depending on the energy or the frequency of the thought can give you an idea of where that and where that thought is coming from right if it's kind of like a low vibrational like angry or you know yeah. something where it's like you know hurtful kind of thought then it may be coming from another person it may be coming from you know uh some sort of energy or spirit that's not highest for your highest good i think though when you get a thought or you get a feeling i should say where uh that feeling feels good to you it feels safe it feels uh, welcoming or positive, uh, then you can generally assume that that, uh, that energy or that thought has been inspired by something positive or something higher than you. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. I, 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 sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh, go ahead if you want. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just like, uh, had something to say about like the, where thoughts kind of come from. And I, I've noticed like a very, or noticed, I learned something pretty interesting, uh, from this, uh, this one uh, guy called Shaman Durek, and he, um, I follow him on Instagram, right? And he's basically a shaman that teaches, um, you know, all these spiritually based things. And I, I saw one of his posts, and it was like very, very interesting um, of what he was saying. So his premise is basically this, and I think we're all familiar with this, is that like we are um, beings of love, of unconditional love. And that is kind of where we start from. So he, he basically said that, like, if there are thoughts that come into our head that are not unconditional love, then that means they are likely from an alternate source. And uh, that source could be, you know, the, the society we live in, other people or whatever. Um, but um, his, his premise for this particular theory was, um, uh, was they, like negative thoughts are kind of just thoughts from spirits of the underworld. Like they, they kind of infiltrate our, 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 I guess our, our minds. And from there, they kind of tell us a story. They're just there to kind of just teach us something to kind of just tell us a story about what they've been through. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really um, have much to do with like what, I mean, of course it has something to do with what we're going through because we're tapping into that frequency Right. And um, so it's basically 
But when you notice that, it's kind of like, oh, okay, what what story is this negative train of thought? Is, is like, what story is it telling me? Kind of thing. What is the spirit trying to tell me? And uh, for me, basically, like I, I like I would just write, I would just write it out. Like I, I just be aware of like the, like a negative train of thought, and I'd just be like, okay, my ego is telling me the story of, and then I just like write like for until like I'm tapped out, uh, until I feel like I got it, like I feel like I understood it, kind of thing. And um, that like after that, like it, I basically like purge that out of my system, and like I feel way, 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 way better after that, and I'm I'm ready to like you know, like take on the world, so to speak. You know, I'm, I'm like I feel like a huge load off my shoulders, and I'm just. I'm just chilling. <laughs> so like, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like um, th that, that could be like a, like for me personally, that's like a good strategy of, of like dealing with these kind of like thoughts, just, but like just anything, like it doesn't have to, you don't have to write it, just expressing it in any form would really, would really, um, would really benefit. And it, re it really did benefit me for the most part um, because, you know, I just like would get that load off my shoulder, but like, it, it, like Bo was saying, it, it literally is that like point of awareness you're like oh wait where are these thoughts kind of coming from and you kind of uh, sit with them and stuff so yeah i felt that was really helpful for me personally well in um in in uh, uh abraham hicks or jerry and esther hicks uh where they talk a lot about the law of attraction one thing that they always say is that like basically in their in their view of things the purpose of these negative thoughts are to show you what you don't want so that you can move to what you do want. Mm -hmm. And like every single thought that you have holds the space for negative energy and for positive energy. Everything exists within that spectrum of negative and positive. And our consciousness and our perception of it is where we tune into that frequency on that spectrum. So I think every negative thought you have actually has the potential or the seed of opportunity for goodness. It's just a matter of like how we looking at it. So if you have these negative thoughts, like, oh, like, you know, uh, I hate, uh, I hate the fact that I'm like drinking coffee or something like that. Right. And then you say, well, why do I feel that way? I feel that way because I want something more. Right. And then, so being able to tap into not just the neck, understanding that the negative and even like, like what would be the purpose of the devil, in my opinion, the purpose of the devil in uh, in the in the in the earth format that we're using is to um, use that darkness to push us and encourage us to keep pushing towards the light. Any type of like negative energy does not feel good, and ultimately, I think we're chasing that good feeling while we're here. Most of what we do is to gain pleasure or to avoid pain. That's the structure of the human mind. It's not a logical mind, and so if we can really understand that, I think we can really see the role of this devil energy and how it actually is beneficial for us to start moving us towards all the things that we want. Like, like we see what's built, what Bill Gates is doing. We see what all these like people are doing with, uh, you know, all these evil pharmaceutical companies. We're like, wow, this is fucked up. It's terrible. It's awful. It's almost satanic. People would say, so what do we do with that? Well, we use that as a tool to see exactly where we're heading away from. We, we're using that as a navigational tool to create a direction for where we're headed to positively. I love that you brought up Abraham Hicks because I was just going to say something about that. I love how Abraham Hicks says, we're the ones that pinch ourselves off from intuition. And we do that by the thoughts that we're thinking or the past that we keep replaying in our heads, you know, and we 
and my purpose, I believe, is to remind people who they actually are. You know, we are living in human meat suits and that's just part of our experience, but we are more than that. You know, we were something before this and we're gonna be something afterwards. And so I feel like the best I can do in this world is just to remind people who they actually are, that this is just part of the human condition and then teach them how to tap into their own intuition because that's what society and culture and people who want control want you to do is believe you can't trust yourself and you can't. And all of that is just past pain that we have to accept and let go. And that is what will free and open our minds for more inspiration. Very true, powerful. That's amazing, thank you, Melody. Do you want to mention something? Oh, no, I know. Okay. <laughs> you guys um, do you want to mention another part? Maybe? No, I think these are all like really, really great points. Um, um, cool. One of the things that I think uh, I wanted to chat with you guys about was, um, you know, just the different ways that we can drift, you know, and, huh? Um, so, What's, what's weird for me is I was actually like listening to the book and I find technology very weird because I think that like spirit moves through technology like faster than it does any other uh, uh, modality. Okay. Like, uh, and um, especially when I'm listening to an audio book or I'm listening to like music through a piece of technology, the, the, the music or the book always just brings something up and I'm listening to this book. And of course, as I'm drinking alcohol, I'm sitting there having beer or whatever. And then it's like, yeah, you know, drifting through alcohol and this. And I'm like, oh, like, damn it. Like, just judging myself so hard. Not to say that it's bad, because it's not no. bad. But, and, <laughs> it's, it's only when you catch yourself in the... The unconsciousness the of unconsciousness it. The unconsciousness of it or the overindulgence of anything, yeah. right? Like, living in that, anything out of balance is... Yeah, well, they say like some in, in thinking Grow Rich, they talk about like stimulus, right? And how like there's some like really famous authors, for example, that use alcohol, like uh, I don't know if it's Ernest Hemingway or something like that, um, but they use alcohol for a stimulant and things like that. But oftentimes these alcohols and stimulants and narcotics, they can always lead to this feeling of drifting. And, and you know, uh, honestly, I have to admit, like I've been guilty of it myself in the past like few weeks. Uh, and being a, it's 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 hard to kind of get back on track once you get caught in that hypnotic rhythm, as they say, right? Yeah. I think that's why it gets harder and harder the deeper you get into something, um, because it's like you're in this rhythm, and then you have to pull yourself out of that. And the deeper you go, the harder it is to pull yourself out. And I think that's why a lot of people end up with these chronic illnesses because they get stuck into a hypnotic rhythm, and then they can't get out of it, and now they're they're like stuck, right? And that's when it starts to uh, manifest as these super chronic illnesses like oh like there's a lump here that won't go away or you know something like that right yeah. so and B just made a good point too like as much as like if we mind <coughs> engage in these things yeah cool whatever but he made a good point like the root of alcohol itself is really damaging for your auric field mm -hmm. and it punctures holes in your auric field so yeah you can engage but what if it's organic huh 
no, I was, but I was gonna say, um, you know that scene from Porter Guys? Uh, you know the movie Porter Guys? No, I've never seen it. Really? The, the scene where, with the worm? <laughs> Nobody in here knows the scene? <laughs> <laughs> okay so maybe i'm out of my age group um <laughs> but if you guys watch porter guys um is it the one or two yeah that scene as a little kid is what made me just believe spirit evil spirits are in alcohol period and then my dad was an alcoholic and he was not good so that really made me think that evil spirits was an alcohol if you have not seen Porter Guys, I don't know how any of you guys have not seen Porter Guys. That's like a <laughs> I've seen it be, but I forgot how it goes like a long time ago. Yeah. I remember seeing it. The, oh my god, no, that was the most traumatizing scene. I don't know how you would ever forget. Maybe my brain it. forgot never, it for that reason. It. <laughs> Traumatic when you forget that. God no. If you haven't seen it, watch it. That that yeah. Yeah, go. Go on. Yeah, just to add something. <laughs> um, it, I, I, I believe like uh, certain alcohols can be bad, but then uh, if all alcohol is bad, why did Jesus turn water to wine? Yeah. Well, you know what? A lot of them, a lot of the, what we were learning in the mystery school too, is that like a lot of these. Um, oh, yeah. 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 I was like, I'm just going to say. Yeah, you say that. Well, I was just going to mention how, I was like, we're going to have this conversation and then you reminded yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about, it was mentioned how um, alcohol many like rituals to connect to spirit and that's why alcohol is called spirits yeah like there's it's but oh, when wow. it's used and overindulged in, that's yeah. when it becomes and bad then for you or when you're not mindful that that's exactly. what it does like yeah. it literally yeah. punctures holes in your aura so that you yeah. can connect with spirit um you're wide open right but if yeah. you're not aware of this and you're not like a trained like master of this because back in the day they would just have like it would be like they'd be in a ceremony for example that would be this would be the whole thing that they had planned they would take one little shot of like pure alcohol let that stuff let that spirit come in and then that would be the end of it versus where people like in our society will have a drink every day every day casually you know what i'm saying so it's like it's a totally well, it's different because, yeah they're trying to numb something you know it's totally different it's not intentional for good trying to numb something or even call in energy that they should be uh, be able to do without damaging their auric fields, right? Yeah, yeah. I That's think fascinating. The, yeah, I think it's the hypnotic rhythm that really comes into anything, right? Because when you're in that hypnotic rhythm, as you're saying, you're unconscious and you're just doing it. You're drifting with it, and it's a cycle. You're not aware. You're not being mindful at all. And anything that kind of even food can be like that, right? Like if you're overindulging in food and it's mindless, you're not even connecting. Um, it might probably not even good for you or you know anything that you fall into a hypnotic rhythm with I think is a recipe well as this book says for drifting and you're not in control of your yourself or your day and if a lower consciousness vibration is you know then that's what that could be a distinction that you work with to try and tap yourself out or not even but maybe just to sit with it again and to just like inquire okay like why am i why do i keep going on this path what do i want from this <clears throat> and just to add like i forget who said it um 
the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And <laughs> Oof, that's deep, bro. Right? Like, I wasn't ready! <laughs> and like, just applying that to literally everything, like that's all about balance. And so I thought that was interesting. And then just to go back to the whole um, idea of power, um, I don't know if anyone remembers the Stanford prison experiments. I've heard something about um, So I need to brush up on, I need to read that again, but um, they essentially threw that out and they discredited it um, and said that, oh no, there's not enough evidence to support this, these findings. But what they found was they put a bunch of um, university students, I think was the age range, um, into a prison and they divided them into, okay, they said, you, this group of students, you guys are going to be the prisoners and then this group of, you know, this yeah, is going to be the, um, the correctional yeah. officers. And I forget how long it went on. It was like three months or something. And they had to stop it because the people who were in charge and had the power just got so far that they were like, actually, like, they just like, okay, you have it. Yeah, you they, know exactly what you're what i'm gonna say yeah, yeah. Like, what is it <laughs> but they essentially like brought on like this like notion of like okay i'm in power and they like started really abusing these students and even though like they were their peers but just like that mindset of you are in power and this is this is the place that you are in where like these people are prisoners these people are bad like you are above them and they actually had to stop the experiment altogether and because they really found that the power of power is addictive. Yeah, and it's, yeah, and corrupted. I wanted to mention something about just benign forms of abuse and, and power, like mental and psychological abuse. I just left, I'm 43, just left a 21 year marriage and a whole life of religious practice. I freed myself of those institutions and uh, I'm just here to say that, you know, I think there was some reason why I was supposed to experience that form of manipulation so much so that I lived in fear my entire life and then checked out and had severe depression, suicidal, all that kind of shit, you know, because I want to just say it's possible to break out of that and, and to uh, really recognize and hone in on what is actually causing it. You know, what's the problem, how, how people can infiltrate your mind and religion's one of the biggest, you know, just trying to impregnate into you that you're a problem and that you don't have the solution and you have to seek outside and I'm just like, holy fuck. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I'm loving this conversation and I'm like so grateful to be here and just grateful that I didn't end it, you know? Cause I'm like, now I can stand up for those who are too afraid to talk and too afraid to get help for themselves, you know? And just say, if I can do it, you can do it, you know? Sure. That's interesting. I actually come from a background like that where I was at a very young age, like I was born into a super, super intense religion. Um, and then I found growing up 
all the people in my circle now who are going through this whole spiritual awakening and whichever stage in their path they're on, but then touching on our backgrounds, I'm like, oh, you too? Like, oh, you too? Like, you're, oh, wow, we were all kind of part of even the same religion. So it's interesting how a lot of us have awakened now, but it's great to see that you're not alone in that kind of similar path. Um, it's, it's, you'll, you'll, you'll see like, a, and it's nice because you can, you don't feel so alone when you're going through that because it is, it is a hard road. You can easily like go, as you said, like end it or now you know this is what you're meant, you were meant to be shown so that you can move forward. And, and well, the, the big manipulators are really good at gaslighting, you know? So I'm, I'm in uh, an online school program right now, Conscious Parenting Method, and it's incredible um, learning about narcissists and learning about manipulation and all that stuff. And it's just like people just get power hungry. And, and, and they said a narcissist is, uh, is made and not born. And so that was kind of an interesting thought, but um, there are people who are just born psychopaths <laughs> and, you know, they just get, get, they get hungry. And so I think by me living in fear, I got to experience the own devil inside me. And I thought that was me, you know, I thought that was the real me. And all of my life because I was trying to conform and be a people pleaser because I was so manipulated and not accepted for who I was that I put up so many masks and different faces and different egos just to be accepted and loved. And so all of those faces are different devils, you know, and I just believe that um, in order to tame it in order to connect with it or, or in order to um get rid of them is to connect to them and i loved what you said earlier was uh the connection part and that's what i really really strongly um advocate for is connection versus correction um and that's really with anything in society because everyone has a story everyone has an inner devil and if we keep engaging with their devil, with our inner devil, it's never going to work, you know? And so we got to connect to who we really are and then we can breathe and then say, okay, I see what's happening here. I see you're kind of stuck in your, in your egotistical devilish mind or whatever. And then your heart softens because you're no longer triggered by that because you've centered yourself and uh, connected to who you are that, you no longer have to project someone else to change for you to feel better. An awesome point. Um, cool. Do you want to say something? <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that's awesome that you um, you got away from the religion in, in terms when when you when you actually pay attention to the the word itself. The word itself is very contradictory to what. It supposedly teaches right the the real yeah. uh, you know you're you're, you're uh, essentially taking allegiance to a, a certain you know belief system which is the complete opposite of god right they're separating you from the human from the man or the woman and then they're, they're taking it to their realm right and essentially they're taking away from god right when god is all, 
God is within, God is love, right? And understanding, understanding that. And I feel like they, they teach the exact opposite. So, you know, it's really hard to get away from the whole religion um, aspect and thinking that it's all good. But it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the huge problem of, like, segregation in, in our in society and in humans, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, B, you had a story you wanted to mention? I was just gonna tell the story about um, when I officially left the church, I guess. <clears throat> Cause I was raised Baptist, but we didn't really go to church, you know, just as black people, I guess we're just called Baptist. That's just what we call ourselves. <laughs> so we didn't really grow up in church. Um, that's just what I was told to be, but I just kind of just had my own relationship with God. So I, I was, I, I don't feel like I ever had a, a woke moment I felt like I've, I've always been like this. So <clears throat> when you're little, you're really just trying to please your parents and, and what the adults are telling you you're supposed to be doing. So you go along with a lot of shit, even though your little kid mind is like, okay, this is, I feel like this is bullshit, but the adults are telling me to do this. But when I get an ad become an adult, I'm not going to do this shit. You know, you have those moments. I don't know if everybody has those moments, but I definitely did. I was kind of a defiant child. Um, so... I remember after my mom passed and I kind of went through like um, like a lot of shit, like I ran to the church like for help because like I didn't know what to do. I was going through so much and I started um, looking into getting baptized and we had to take these classes where my, shit, I forgot what he's called now, minister. Mm -hmm. Pastor, pastor, where the pastor would walk you through your first couple classes of becoming baptized. And one of the first things he started mentioning was the Freemasons and um, how to poison in us and the Teflon and all this shit. And I was like, buddy, this is not something I expected to hear in church. So pastor, you know all this and yet you're still playing as well as the pastor. <laughs> Like, y'all, I felt so betrayed in that moment. And I was like, so, like, people learn this shit, but then they get in where they fit in. Like, you're, you're, ben you're still benefiting from what you're teaching me is wrong. Like, you know, that's where I'm going to go, the rabbit hole I'm going to go down. I don't know if everybody else in this room knows that, but I knew where you were going. And I was just shocked that you brought it up in church. So yeah. I was like, we all know this in church, but you're still doing this anyway like it's all a system y'all like this is such a, a fucking intricate system you don't even know but that's like really what made me be like all right i'm out <laughs> like i've been right this whole time and you, you saying that just really just made me be like really pasta <laughs> oh. and i feel like it's i feel like a, a part of me that wants to believe that he's still cares about waking people i feel like maybe they do that and they want you to leave the church they want you to go find their truth but i don't know everybody's different everybody interprets shit differently but i was like when he said that to me it was like yeah it's time to leave the church now it's time for me to just go find something else because this is bs he, he literally just was telling me that just told me this is a hope this is bs <laughs> Now you're at the church. 
Yeah, and that's what they teach you in church. They tell you God's not a building, God's not a dwelling. Church literally teaches you that you're God, but you just don't believe it. You just you just keep going back to church thinking that that makes you godly. Like it's like people hear it. Like all the stuff is kind of out there because I feel like they mock us very blatantly, openly. It's like all the stuff is out there, but it's just a matter of if you're listening on the right frequency, I guess. Yeah. They literally tell you in church that you're God. You're God. But let you stand up and, and say it, and it's like blasphemy. So it's like you're always taught um, contradicting things to keep you in a confused state to me. Yeah. And you just got to go with your heart because that's yeah. the only thing that's going to keep you centered is, is, is your good heart. Or if you got a good heart, your heart can take you somewhere else. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it depends on the person because it really is your own personal journey. It really is. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. That's all I was. I wanted to say about my church story. <laughs> I love it. That? <laughs> I think that's one of the things about the book. Like when I was reading it, it was January before this whole shift happened. And my mind was blowing throughout this entire book. Like because it was exposing all of these systems right down to the system of our own thinking. Right. And like, you know, we're a group of critical thinkers here. So we're able to, you know, go through our experiences. And I think Melody, Melody, like you were, you know, sharing your story and how you went through these challenges to overcome them. And and that's what, like a person who's drifting might never do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you're right. There is power in everything we're faced with. There's power in all of our challenges. Um, I have shared this before, but, and one of the things in the book, it says drifting can be even with food, overindulgence with food. I've gone through disordered eating, a disordered eating relationship. And so for me, that was one of my biggest teachers, but I sat with that for a long time to really keep going and digging under and under and under. So everything we're met with, you know, for that critical thinker and for the person that the type of person that the devil can't control, it's that person who does sit and think about everything, analyze everything, and really make their own decision at the end and rise above their circumstances. That's the type of person that this consciousness can't get into. Like I wrote down the actual definition of the book from a drift of a drifter is one who permits himself to be influenced and controlled by circumstances outside of his own mind. Yeah, we might go through bouts of that. We might go through cycles of that, but it's in those cycles that we have the opportunity to wake up. In this book, Napoleon Hill, and even in uh, Think and Grow Rich, one of my favorite quotes from him is, in every seed is adversity and success. It's 50-50, right? And this devil consciousness is literally says something about like he he is the negative portion of the atom and we need that negative portion too again to just have and build this discernment to be able to go move through our challenges feel them and then choose to rise above them but it's the person who chooses who can't be stopped and then the heat another quote from this book says nothing can stop me except the power of accurate thought so accurate thought, meaning when you catch yourself in noticing this fear, 
or maybe that something is not aligned with your core values. And in that moment, you actually get to know what your core values are, right? So, I mean, I just think that this whole book is so interesting and it goes through school, it goes through religion, it goes through like celebrities and, and this, these infiltrating influences on us. It goes through the whole system and it could be very sobering to see like, holy shit, like all of these things are being used. This is propaganda, you know, so much of this world is propaganda and it can subconsciously hook us into a drifting state. But we need to, we need to experience that to also be able to break out of it. So again, there's success in every seed of adversity and it's up to us just to catch on to it and yeah, just make it, make it our best friend at the end of the day. That's where free will comes in. That's where we get the chance to choose, you know, and contrast. It's good, you know, um, all of it's good. <laughs> I think that's how, how we know, just like Abraham Hicks is saying, you know, um, and, and yeah, like contrast, there's good in all. And so we get to choose if we want to think <laughs> for ourselves, how it's going to play a role in our lives. And for the longest time, I played the role of victimhood. But then again, if everything is exactly how it's supposed to be at the exact moment, then I did everything right. I did everything that I was supposed to. I experienced everything. I was supposed to have three kids. I was supposed to have all of these awful traumas in my life to overcome them, like you said you know, and uh, anyway, so it's been like, I don't regret anything and I no longer am victim. You know, I don't blame my family. I'm grateful for the foundation that I had and it's just made me stronger. Yeah, and that's like all part of your beautiful story of like you on this earth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. And and as much as this book can be heavy at times, I know for me, like it was mind breaking for a bit. Um, but the recurring theme really is the importance of transforming your thoughts from fear to faith. Like it really just gives you this, the distinction to be able to do that. Like, yeah, drifting sounds horrible. <laughs> and like I said, we, probably, we all go through cycles of all of this, right? It's just the experience of being alive. But the point of this book, the recurring theme is to just give us a framework to be able to catch ourselves wherever we are in these different phases and then transform that into faith and transform that into um, just knowing ourselves. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, it's one o'clock. So we appreciate everybody coming out. Uh, we'll continue the chat in our Telegram group. And uh, if you are not part of Purium and you want to try it, there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. You can try it for yourself risk-free. Just ask the person who invited you for a gift card code. Um, otherwise, uh, if you haven't watched Thrive 2, if you haven't watched Thrive 1, watch Thrive 1 on YouTube. If you haven't watched Thrive 2, please check it out. We're probably going to watch it next week. Can you tell them what happened to you when you watched it? I <laughs> It was so mind blowing that I had a panic attack. I could, I couldn't breathe. Um, I thought I was dying and having a, a rebirth. Um, it is an it's it's just absolutely insane. 
Um, it's the most insane documentary I've ever seen. The first, just to give you an idea, the first sentence of that documentary was, uh, it all started when I, when I stopped fearing death or I stopped worrying about my own dying. I was like, oh, okay. That's where we're starting. <laughs> so, uh, Are they both on YouTube? Uh, the first one's on YouTube. The second one, you have to register for the free viewing. It's only available for the next 10 days. So definitely go check it out. The first one's like $2. It's the best $2 you'll ever No, you can spend. get on YouTube for free. Oh, never mind. Wait, it's just called Thrive? Thrive. It's yeah. called Thrive, and then the tagline is, what on earth will it take? Yeah. Sweet. And it was created in 2011 when you watch it. So just, or 2012, one of the two. But anyway, so it's kind of crazy to see that it's so relevant today. And also when you're watching this documentary, it's two hours. The first hours is like kind of like seemingly cool, but unrelated things. But like hang in there, watch the whole thing, commit to it because at the end it ties together like crazy. And same with the most recent one as well. So yeah. Nice. So cool. good.